what I noticed about being an organizer of that group was that more Black people came to events. More people wanted to learn about polyamory when they saw me being an organizer. Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We always strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy and positive approach to non-monogamy. However, everyone approaches this a little differently, and in its core, our show is about hearing and learning from different experiences and approaches people have. With that in mind, it's important to remember that the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily represent those of our own. It's also important to remember that we aren't doctors or therapists and that we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on this show. We should also let you know that this podcast will hopefully include some explicit language. So, if that kind of thing offends you, you should probably keep listening until it no longer does. If you're under 18, we'd suggest finding a different show or gather up your parents and listen as a family. Enjoy! Okay, it's working. Welcome to episode 38, right? Yes, 38. We're Finn and Emma. Every week we're Finn and Emma. Yep. And today we have a fun interview with a woman named Crystal. And she is the... Website editor? Yes. I wanted to call it the website design, and that's not the that's not right. Website editor for a website called blackandpoly.org. Yeah, we have a great conversation with her about race, about polyamory, and about being on the autism spectrum. So it's a super cool conversation, and we're super excited to get into it. We're not going to ramble a whole lot. We just wanted to say a big thank you to everybody who listened to me at the end of last week's episode and set your homepages <laughs> to normalizingnonmonogamy.com. That's Especially a, on your work computer. Yeah, work Ugh. computer doesn't matter. Work computer, your kid's computer, doesn't really matter. It's, it's just for everybody. <laughs> anyway, anyway, if you're on our website, since it's your homepage. And you go to the resources page. Yeah, you can find links to stdcheck.com, which is an online testing service for STDs. Uh, it is... Fast and easy, as I always say, and it is, you can get... Sometimes you say it's quick and fast and easy. I know. Well, it's all of those things. You get $10 off by using the link on our page. Also, Casty is online dating service. You can get a free 30-day trial by using the link on our page or a free 90-day trial if you leave us a review on any podcast platform. Okay. It's also not a platform. Never mind. I what? got nothing. No, <laughs> You're trying a, to make a joke. I had a funny joke. But it didn't work. But it didn't work. Okay, so let's, let's just go to the episode. Let's go to the episode. Yeah. yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye. Not yet. Not bye. We're not leaving. But we'll be back. Okay. We are leaving. Okay. I have to let's, go make let, a drink. Let's go. Well, th- thanks, Crystal, for joining us today. Um, well, we, we reached out to you about what a, a month or so ago, and we've been trying to connect, but... For anybody who doesn't know who you are, which is probably everybody, do you mind just sharing a little bit about who you are, your background, and and maybe some of the things that you have going on? Yeah, I'm Crystal. I live in the Charlotte, North Carolina area. I'm the website editor for blackandpoly.org, which is a website and blog dedicated to black people and people of color living polyamorously. I've been the website editor for about two years now. And I'm a member of the Facebook group, which is a kind of a 
good discussion forum for people who are interested in polyamory and you know, wanting to know how to do it, especially as it relates to race and polyamory. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, that was one of the reasons we kind of reached out because we, we saw that as a resource and we thought that it would be a really good thing to have out there for people. So, I mean, do you, do you mind before we jump in just talking a, a little bit more about the group and, and how it, you know, how it works, how it came to be, and maybe some of the, some of the things that, that you do, you know, within the community or within the group? Yeah, so Ron Young is the founder of Black and Poly. He um, wanted to have a place where people could um, explore polyamory and what it was and feel safe within their, their culture, the Black culture. So he founded the group about five years ago. And he also got Kato Cooks, who lives in California, um, to be part of the founding group of members. And he wanted to create a space for Black people to talk about polyamory as it relates to their culture and the issues that come up, particularly for Black people as they transition to polyamorous relationships. So the group is open to all people. Um, it's open to people in different stages of exploring non-monogamy. And is come. we have really interesting discussions about, you know, what to tell my family, how do I go find partners. We have people who are interested in polyamory from the nation-building aspect who want to create kind of a, a, a Black center of power, and so they feel like polyamory is the way to do that. Um, we have people who are on the, the asexual spectrum. We have all kinds of people who are LGBTQ. Um, it's a really great place just to talk about what polyamory is and how we practice it. And is it only an online community or are there in person, are there in-person meetups as well? Yeah, there are about, um, 10 to 15 in-person meetup groups and those are run through meetup.com. And so they are all over the country. There's Texas, there's San Francisco, DC area, Chicago. So there's a lot of different in-person groups and they meet about once a quarter and have a discussion topics. Very cool. Yeah, I think that's a that's a that's a really great resource. And I, I'm curious if somebody who isn't a person of color wanted to be a part of it to maybe help uh, open their eyes and get better understanding of you know trying trying to gain some empathy. Is that something that would be an option for somebody? Yeah, the Facebook group and the meetup groups are open to people no matter what race they are. Um, one thing that we're aware of in the Facebook group especially is that some people who are not Black or people of color will come in and just want to learn, you know, how Black people do things or what Black people think. And um, for us, for me especially, that's kind of um, uncomfortable because it's like, you're studying us as experiments or just trying to um, see us as something weird and odd when really what we do is a, is almost exactly the same as what white people do. So there are some cultural things that you can learn from us um, by participating in the Facebook group, but you know, you can learn those things just by observing and being around black people in normal life. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I think that makes total sense. So, one would one would infer that you yourself are poly. Uh, do you mind talking a little bit about your sort of journey into that and and what it what sort of form it takes for you? Since we kind of know there's all sort of a spectrum of it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, started my journey about 10 years ago. When I got out of college, I uh, moved to a new state and I had no experience with relationships or um, my sexuality at all. So I started going on Craigslist and just having sex with random people all over the state. And that was fun. I found the BDSM community through that. I found people who were polyamorous and non-monogamous through that. Um, but I considered myself an unethical slut. Um, I felt like I hurt a lot of people. I got hurt a lot myself. Um, so eventually I kind of dialed down what I was doing and started seeking more genuine, authentic relationships. And that's where I met my husband. Um, we met through the BDSM community and through this poly clique that was around Indianapolis. And um, so we got married and we were together for four years and we had a daughter. Um, but eventually I decided that I wanted to leave the marriage. It wasn't related to polyamory. We had an open um, marriage while we were together, but um, I just didn't want to live with them anymore. So we split up. I moved back down to North Carolina with my daughter. And after that, I became solo poly, which means that I don't plan on cohabitating with anybody. I don't share finances with anybody. I don't share childcare with anybody. I'm just my person, me with my daughter in my house, and I date other people, you know, close to me that I care about. And, but that can still take on like having a primary partner, having long-term partners. It doesn't necessarily mean that you just go on, you're constantly going on new dates, right? So you're still forming long-term, potentially long-term relationships and and deep connections. Yeah, I definitely have some long-term relationships. There's some times where I meet somebody and it's just a short-term thing and I'm okay with that. Yeah, but I I have a variety of different types of relationships. Some are sexual, some are um, kind of romantic, some are just kind of like friends with sex or friends without sex. So I consider all those as part of my polycule relationships that I had. And when you were when you were married, uh, you mentioned you had an open relationship during that time as well. Was that a, a poly relationship where you both had separate partners, or was it more uh, you did you dated other people together? It was more we dated other people together. So he had a one penis policy, which means that um, we only dated women. So we dated together, and we looked for women who would be who would be compatible. There was one couple that we. Um, met and started to talk to, um, but, you know, our marriage was unhealthy for a lot of reasons. And so I felt like us dating was not a healthy way to, it, we weren't having healthy relationships with other people as we didn't have a healthy relationship right. with us. And so one would assume again, that if, if with the one penis policy, that, that <laughs> you were bisexual, or at least open to exploring that, was that something that you had explored prior to getting married and, and was something that coming into the marriage was something that was no unknown entity? Yeah, for me, it was definitely something I knew about myself and I was okay with when we got married and I um, was willing to date other women. Okay. Yeah, and, and so now that you've gone out on the solo poly route, are you open to all sorts of relationships, whether it's men, women, or possibly even somewhere in between? Yeah, so I have um, two partners who are trans, and then I date men and women. 
so yeah, I consider myself bisexual still, but I guess it would be more accurate to say I'm pansexual. Pansexual. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that's something we're hearing a lot more lately is people gravitating towards that. And I, I don't know, I think that's really great. Yeah, no, I think mm-hmm. so too. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Why put a, I guess, constraints on it when, when you're attracted to anybody, basically, depending right. on the person. Mm-hmm. So have you, I guess, what, what are some of the things that, you know, you've learned about yourself through this journey? Like, I, I know for us, we kind of came together in a monogamous way and then opened our relationship up. But it sounds like almost from the beginning, you you were sort of just always in a, in a state of multiple relationships, whether they were a long or short term, I guess. Maybe where, where did, did you see models of that growing up or how did you know that that was sort of the way that you wanted to go about it? Well, I have this theory about the black community and that's that um, the black community has been non-monogamous for a long time that we're kind of used to non-monogamy. So um, if you think of like stereotypes about black people, you have baby daddy. Um, So we have these areas where it's acceptable to have multiple partners. It's acceptable to have a parent who is not, that you're currently not in a relationship with, um, you know, and it's usually classified under cheating and stepping out on people, but there's this subcurrent of acceptability to it. So when I was growing up, my parents did sleep around on each other and they argued about it a lot, but it just kept happening and then they split up. So there was always this idea that, it's okay to do this. We just have to pretend like it's not a good thing. So um, now that I'm an adult and I see my parents' relationships, you know, looking back, I can understand that, you know, they had to fit within this culture that said cheating on people is not right, but they also have needs that they want to get met. So it was almost, you feel like they wanted to be non-monogamous, but didn't really have a model or a um, a framework to do it in, in, in a healthy way. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And since you've started exploring in a, in a healthier way, is it something you've gone back and discussed with either of them to sort of bring it back and say, Hey, this is something that, that I maybe I didn't learn from you, but it's something that I was aware of. And, and this is a way to do it in a healthy way, or has it largely just remained something that you keep, keep to yourself? No, they're both aware of um, how I live and, you know, it's kind of the same tension where they have to say it's not acceptable, but I've given the book more than two to my mom and talked to her about it in her own relationships. And I think, you know, they're still kind of uncomfortable with it, but my mom has met, well, both of my parents have met some of my partners and they know, you know, the kind of support system that I have and what I do with my life. So I think they both understand that this is what I want to do. Um, I don't think they're ready to apply it to their lives yet, but you know, as long as they're aware of it, I think that's important. So are they still together? No. Okay. But they get along now. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a good, right. that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's hard coming into, uh, I mean, culture in general isn't very supportive of, you know, multiple partners or, or open style relationship in it. It sounds like within the the black community, that's even a stronger um, 
it's a it's a stronger presence there. I guess do do you mind talking a little more about that and maybe what you think is sort of the reasoning behind that? Yeah, so I would take it back to the history of Black people in America. So you have um, slaves being brought over into the country, and their family relationships are already being torn apart. So mm-hmm. you know, mothers are taken from their kids, husband and wives are separated. So you already have this um, destruction of the, the core family unit. So you have people living together, and they can't choose their relationships. Um, sometimes the women were not able to even choose, you know, have control over their own bodies. So you have people having children, um, getting moved around to different parts of the country. And so I think that kind of embedded in Black people in America, this idea of um, finding support, finding um meeting our needs in a, in a way that, you know, we can, you know, the best way that we can. So I think that kind of created an openness to the changing nature of relationships and then also created this kind of shame in that we aren't, you know, standing up to the white ideal of a nuclear family and a healthy marriage that lasts forever. So when you get into the modern times, you have mass incarceration, you have, um, the drug state, you have all these things that have created these forces within the Black community where a lot of people don't have stable relationships. They don't have homes where they can find out what kind of values they want to live. Um, They have unhealthy relationships with alcohol and drugs. And you have this trauma that's embedded in us from slavery that makes it difficult to create healthy relationships. So the higher percentage of Black people have mental health problems. And oftentimes that's, um, they they fix it or try to fix it with alcohol or drugs or codependency. So I think that one of the ways that the Black culture has evolved is to create these networks of relationships that kind of get different needs met. So some people have sexual needs, some people have needs for security, um, emotional safety. So we're getting these needs met through different relationships with people in our community. And because we have this thing called white supremacy surrounding our culture, you have to make it look like it's acceptable or create it or kind of describe it in the framework of, you know, the typical nuclear family and the married married couple or the, the family that is healthy all the time. When oftentimes we don't have a healthy family, we've never had, healthy family models to go on. Right. And and so I guess the point that you're trying to make there, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that it it wasn't as common or maybe still isn't as common for people of color to feel that it was acceptable to to engage in like an ethical non-monogamous framework because they felt that they so strongly had to conform to what, what people were thinking that they should be. Yeah, our goal has always been to look white, act white, to be what the white people are being. And um, there's still a lot of that in black culture where we have to, you know, be a middle class family with 2.5 kids and all of that. Um, But there's also the recognition that we have our way of doing things. And I think if more people said it's okay that we do it this way, then we would be 
much healthier. Right. And I guess, so maybe, do you mind elaborating it? And I would imagine you see differences within the, the black poly community versus the poly community as a whole. And, and understanding that there's overlap between those two, but what are, what are some of the differences you see or that you've experienced yourself within your, your past 10 years in that um, being in, I guess, because you're in both communities, right? You, you're you're yeah. in the broader poly community, but you're also in part of sort of the subsector of it. So maybe compare and contrast some of those differences. So I would say the Black poly, poly community is um, more secretive. So there's a lot of people that I know that I've talked to or that I've had relationships with, and they're not willing to be open about their non-monogamy to their family or to people they work with or their um, other relationships. Whereas non-monogamy now is becoming mainstream enough that there are white people who are willing to be open about it and to advocate for it. And the black community, the black poly community is just not there yet. Another difference is that a lot of black people become non-monogamous or enter polyamory as a way of nation building, like I said before. So those people um, feel like because we've been subjugated to white supremacy for so long, the only way to empower black people is to create a place where there are more black people and we have control of the economy and our housing and um, money and that we can have some kind of economic power. And the way to do that is by marrying people and having more kids. Um, the problem with that is that it's usually rooted in misogyny and a lot of homophobia. So we have a lot of people in the black polyamorous community who are not interested in relationships that involve LGBTQ people, unless it's a woman with another woman. Um, they want to have a lot of women, uh, like families with a lot of women, but not a lot of men. Um, they have a lot of closed relationships. So there's this whole ideology in the black poly community that just doesn't exist in the white community. Um, so that's really interesting to deal with and to talk to people about um, because there's a lot of misogyny and it, it, just, it just isn't healthy or right to me. Yeah. It's almost more conservative than you would, than you would think. Yeah, definitely very conservative. So you mentioned at the top that you have a couple of trans partners you're openly bisexual. It sounds like you're you're breaking a lot of those stereotypes yourself. Have I guess do you mind talking about how how that kind of came to be for you? Because I imagine that's not easy to go against the grain of everything that's happening around you. But yeah, it sounds like you're doing it and doing it somewhat successfully. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure when I decided to be out about polyamory, but um, several years ago, I was, I became an organizer of the Charlotte Poly Network, which is our local meetup group. And that has a lot of visibility to the poly community, but also it's on meetup.com. So everybody sees your face. What I noticed about being an organizer of that group was that more Black people came to events. More people wanted to learn about polyamory when they saw me being an organizer. So the other, you know, the main organizer was this old white guy. And, you know, he already had 
a group of people who knew about polyamory or practicing non-monogamy and were willing to come out. So there's this people who are already just willing to be there. But when you have somebody who looks different, who is maybe from a different background, the numbers in Charlotte Poly Network increased. And there was a lot more interest from younger people, from people who were from different parts of the state and people of color. So I saw it as a positive thing. And so yeah, definitely. What, what I always wanted to do was to help other people understand that it's okay to do this and to live it ethically. So I always, I would lead the poly one-on-one discussions and I was always really open about my life story and about the mistakes that I'd made and about the things that I'd wish I'd known when I started this journey. So I feel like my role is to help people understand. So that's what I do at Black and Poly. I create blogs and I get contributors who can tell their story and talk about what it's like to be polyamorous so that people coming in won't make the same mistakes. Yeah, so you're kind of taking the experiences that you said from um, after college and when you said you had fun, but you hurt a lot of people and you got hurt a lot in trying to use those to help those stories and learning experiences to help other people in your community. Am I summarizing that correctly? Yeah, that's definitely true. And then by meeting people in the community and talking to them, I've started to get this whole dictionary at the stars of other experiences so that I can create kind of this knowledge base about polyamory. Yeah. Do you mind talking about a few of the things that you've learned along the way that maybe early on you, you would classify them as mistakes, but that you've been able to go on and learn from those and, and course correct. Yeah. One very common thing is about couples who start polyamorous journeys or who start out non-monogamous and continue to be a couple. So, you know, you've heard a couple's privilege, um, unicorn hunting. So I was on both sides of it because when I was single, I was a unicorn to a couple. And then when I was married, you know, we were looking for single women. So we were unicorn hunters. So one of the biggest mistakes that I see from the couple side is that you start the journey looking for a very specific thing for your relationship. And that usually comes in, well, we want a woman who we can, the woman can explore bisexuality and we can have fun having sex. Um, And that's fine, but there's also these unspoken expectations about, well, this third woman won't um, date anyone else. She's going to come live with us or she's going to be a part of our lives, but we won't acknowledge her to our wider families and friends. We're going to give her kind of a secondary position where she is not a contributor to the household finances, that she doesn't make decisions about childcare. Um, and then if some, one of the other partners gets jealous, the married couple, she can be disposed of. This third person is not that important that you know, our marriage can't be, you know, our marriage has to be kept together because... I don't know why. So that's one of the biggest things that I see. Yeah, no, she sort of becomes like a something, uh, like some someone that belongs to them. And then when they feel it's convenient, they'll have her around. When it's not convenient, she's gone. And we've we've heard that a few times from other people that the there's the the inequality that comes with that unicorn hunting is 
is kind of, and, and not kind of, but is quite degrading to people. Yeah. Yeah, it's really unhealthy. And there are certainly couples that go about it the right way and that have clear expectations from the beginning. But the majority of time I see couples start without even considering all of these ways that they relate to each other and plan to relate to this other person. And that creates these this undercurrent of ideas about how the relationship should work. And then when it doesn't work that way, they're like, okay, we're going to close the marriage. We're going to go back to the way we were. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. And I think that, um, yeah, I, it's unfortunate that those things happen, but at the same time, no one's going to learn the right way to do it if, if people don't make mistakes and talk about it. So I think it's great that you're out there and trying to advocate and, and educate people. Uh, are there any other examples that you'd be willing to share? I can say that, um, you know, I am a very sexual person. So in my relationships, a lot of them are sex-based. And when I started, I wasn't really clear on how to create boundaries around my relationship. So I was meeting all these people off Craigslist and I didn't, I didn't create a good separation between my emotional self and my sexual self. Mm -hmm. So I was able to enjoy these people sexually, but I also had a lot of guilt because I didn't like them. You know, I just didn't like them as people. And I felt like they wanted something from me that I wasn't able to offer them. So I'm on the autism spectrum. So what I've realized is that it's very easy for me to compartmentalize sex and emotions from each other. So now I go into relationships saying, you know, I don't want this emotional component. I, I don't want to, you know, be touchy feely and have a lot of, I love you's and stuff like that. So I tell my partners, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I like you. I'm a person, but we're, our relationship is based around sex. And when I'm ready to create that emotional component with people, I say, okay, I'm willing to provide emotional support or be an emotional support for you. And now we can take this step and include another part of my life into our life. Yeah. yeah, no, I think that's fascinating. And and thanks for sharing that and opening up about that. I mean, do you mind talking a little more about how you learn to navigate the, the poly space, you know, as a person on the autism spectrum? Because I think, I mean, even for people who aren't, uh, you know, struggling with that at times, it's still not an easy space to navigate. And, and the emotions and the emotional IQ that comes along with that is, is and can be extremely difficult. If you don't mind talking a little more about how you learn to navigate that and some of the tools that you use to do that, I think that'd be very valuable to, to people out there. Okay. Um, what I've learned is that people create a lot of assumptions around what a relationship is. And it's really good to break down relationships into wants and needs. So I used to have like a spreadsheet where I said, these are my specific needs and this is how each person meets them. And people thought, or they probably still think that that's weird, but it's a good way for me to say, you know, in a relationship, my expectations are to have emotional support, to have someone text or call me every once in a while, to have good sex, to have things that we can do outside of the bedroom. Um, you know, 
things like that to, to share finances, to help provide childcare for my daughter. Those are things that we come into relationships with, especially if it's a traditional monogamous relationship. We say our relationship is going to have all of these things in it, but we never explicitly say that's what a relationship is. And so when people start relationships with people, they may have all these expectations that are unspoken and then they get unhappy with the relationship because they have needs and expectations that aren't being met. That happens a lot with couples that do start exploring non-monogamy because they say, well, I'm not getting something, so maybe somebody else can provide it. And that's really common, but it's also not a good way to start relationships. But as far as being on the spectrum, what I what I do is I'm very upfront with people and I'm very blunt with people about what I want and what I want specifically from them. And so that often creates this uh, resistance because, I, you know, I, I meet somebody and, you know, that first meeting, I say, okay, I want to have sex with you. And they're like, well, how do you know you want to have sex? You don't have any connection to me. And I'm like, I, I have this chemistry that I want to explore. Um, so that is often the most difficult thing that I run into. But it's also helpful to not have a lot of attachment to people's responses. So I'm willing to say to somebody, hey, this is what I'm feeling about you. This is what I'm thinking in this moment. But also to know that they can react however they want to react. And some people can't get over that barrier where it says, you know, somebody's saying they want to have sex, but they're not wanting a traditional relationship. So there's some people who just can't separate that. And that's okay. So for me, it's, it's being able to be honest with people, but also recognizing that I can't always provide what they want from me. Right. Well, I think that the bluntness is something that people across all of the non-monogamous worlds, whether it's swinging or poly or, or anything else, like that's a very useful tool to have is, you know, laying out there what you're looking for. And then the other person can then decide whether that's something that they're interested in continuing the conversation or, or if they're like, Hey, that's way too much for me right now. But, but then it it gets the cards out there and lets them, lets them make the decision and and you're not leading people on and and creating uh, like a mystery around it. Yeah. I think that's extremely important. And I also think that your point about being willing to accept whatever their response is, is, super important even though it's very difficult like you don't you don't want to be shut down or or um, rejected yeah rejected because of what Mm -hmm. you say but at the same time you you have to put out there what you want so that it's fair to to both people or all people yeah yeah so you mentioned earlier that you you have a daughter and and you're living together is the poly side of things something that you're open with her about and have discussed with her? Um, or is it something that for now you're trying to sort of keep keep it separate? Now, I've always been open with her about my relationships. Um, she is seven and she also has autism. So at, at some level, she doesn't really care about what's going on outside of her world. But, you know, I've explained to her that I love different people. Um, she's met some of my partners. And she knows that they're all people that I interact with. She knows that sometimes I want to be with those people alone instead of with her and those people. Um, she's, you know, we've been on trips with some of my partners. So um, from her perspective, it's just normal. It's normal life, you know. 
mom has yeah. other friends and people come over and we go places. It's just life to her. So when she gets older, we'll have the space to say, you know, what is this and how do I practice it? And, you know, do I want this for me when I get older? Um, right. um, there's plenty of space for that. But the important thing is to be open about it and to, to not feel, not, not make her feel like it's a shameful thing or something that she should keep as a family secret. Yeah. I think that's the key is that she is okay. Uh, yeah. It doesn't have to keep it a secret. And was, I'm assuming there was a transition for her though, when you separated from uh, her dad and, and, and she had to understand yeah. that the, that the relationship dynamic, I guess, was changing. Yeah. It was actually pretty traumatic to separate from, because um, as soon as I I left him. He moved to Atlanta. So suddenly he was several hours away and he could only see her maybe once a month, if that. So I think it was just a balancing act of explaining, okay, daddy's away, but he still loves you, still cares about you. Um, but also I'm having relationships with people that meet my needs. So she was three at the time. So I'm not sure how much of it she grasped, but she definitely still, I still noticed that she has some anxiety about being left alone about me not being there so I think that's where that comes from yeah yeah that's tough I mean being a parent is tough in the first place right and then adding you know all of these relationship dynamics is uh not easy but it's important yeah. I mean and kids are adaptable they do they learn they they grow and they a lot of times kids just think the normal is or the somewhat abnormal is normal and not that it, not that polyamory is, abnormal, polyamory is abnormal but it's just a different relationship model and with kids that grow up with that they just think it's it's the norm yeah so so what I realized um you know during that stage where I was deciding to leave my husband was that I wanted to be healthy by myself instead of unhealthy with someone else and so I hope that's the the one thing that she understands when she gets older Right. Yeah. That, that, the, yeah. Feeling like the only way that you could be happy was by, by being with that person and then finding a way to make yourself happy rather than relying on someone for your happiness. I think, I think that's something that's hard for a lot of people to understand. Yeah. And not being able, I guess, not being afraid to get out of a situation. And I think demonstrating that to your daughter or to children in general is a good thing. Very good thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, have you received um, much pushback from other people in your life? I know you mentioned, we talked about your parents a little bit and your child, but uh, other family or friends have people been pretty accepting or uh, has you, have you received a lot of pushback? I would say my family, um, you know, who are mostly black are not generally accepting of it. Like my cousins who are my age are pretty okay with it and they, they kind of get it. But, my aunts and uncles, um, you know, grandparents, great-grandparents, well, not great-grandparents, you know, the other people in my life are kind of um, unsure about it. So my sister actually was, um, she doesn't consider herself non-monogamous, but when she met her partner, he was married to another person. And my aunt was unwilling to come to their um commitment ceremony because he was still married to this person. So that was kind of one of the things that shed light on how they view non-monogamy. And so that was an opportunity to have a discussion, but it didn't really go anywhere. 
but it was it was important to to talk that out with my family. So um, was the so, other was was your sister's partner was he non-monogamous or was that Yeah, so yeah, they were they had opened up their marriage and were dating other people. He eventually divorced her. I don't know what the timeline, but he he and my sister now are in a committed relationship, but they're not they're not poly. Okay. Yeah, it's fascinating and I think yeah, there's just so many different ways that yeah. people go about it that it's it's so hard to say like, oh, this is the right way, that's the right way. And I think that's one of the things that we wanted to try and highlight with this show is just how everybody does it a little bit different and it doesn't mean that your way is better or your way is worse. So I think I think that's it's fun to hear the different ways that people go about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So within the within the community I guess, do you see a lot of different models, I guess, in, in the, the black poly community? Or, I mean, does it seem to be very homogenous because of the this sort of the framework that you've talked about earlier? Or are you starting to see people opening up to new ways of approaching it that maybe five years ago or 10 years ago they, they hadn't been? Yeah, I would say for... Black and queer people, that's LGBTQ people, they are a lot more open to different ways of doing non-monogamy. So you'll see LGBTQ people who are less focused on traditional, you know, polyamory, like triads or quads or, you know, Vs. So they do more um, relationship anarchy where they have relationships that are kind of defined on each individual's terms. So I see a lot of the queer community embracing that. Um, the more heterosexual black community is still kind of traditional in that usually it's a couple looking to date a third person or it's a woman who's going to date people on her own. Yeah, I would say in the Charlotte area, there's not a lot of um, difference between the black poly community and the regular poly community. There's still that kind of traditional way of doing polyamory, whether it's, you know, usually it's couples. There's also a big swinger community here, um, and I see a lot less diversity in that community. But that just may be that I don't know a lot of Black swingers. Mm-hmm. So is that something that you have tried or considered trying, is, is uh, going, I guess, the swinger, more traditional swinger route? No, it's never been very interesting to me. Um, I've been to play parties or sex parties, but the whole structure of swinging has never been something I wanted to really get into. Yeah. Do you, do you see much blending between the two in Charlotte or do they largely remain separate entities? They're, they're usually very different. Um, like the Charlotte Poly Network is probably the biggest polyamory group in the region. And there's some overlap in members. There are lots of people who are swingers who, join the meetup group and then there are people who are just polyamorous but usually what I see is that the swingers are more interested in sexual relationships or you know finding a woman to date individually instead of you know finding a woman who's polyamorous and dating them okay yeah right I guess for yourself do you do you mind talking a little bit about what you see moving forward then like do you think you'll consider the the same consider keeping the same sort of relationship 
strategy that you have with the the solo poly and multiple different partners, or do you see it changing and and morphing over time? Or maybe a better question: Have you seen it change and morph over the last five years or the last ten years as you've learned more and gotten more experience? Yeah, so I'm almost five years away from divorcing my husband, and I've noticed that at the beginning I was um, not interested in a lot of romantic relationships. I definitely had that mindset of I'm just going to get my needs met, and not a lot of my needs were for emotional support. So over time I've created more romantic relationships with some of my partners that at first felt awkward to me, you know, it felt awkward saying I love you or, you know, calling them because I hate talking on the phone, but (laughs) now I've become, (laughs) yeah, 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 I've become more accepting of, you know, this person loves me and wants to show their love in this way. So I'm, I'm okay with that now. I still don't seek out romantic relationships, but I'm willing for those relationships that I currently have for those to turn into more romantic relationships. Um, I don't see myself changing as far as like being solo poly. I don't think I'll ever move in with somebody. I don't think I'll ever marry or find another co-parent. I just see that I'll continue meeting people and exploring relationships with them and seeing how we fit together as far as our needs and wants. Yeah. I think that's a really good approach. I mean, you never know what will happen. Right. And yeah, it's working. Right. Why mess with it? (laughs) So if someone wanted to get involved with the uh, black poly network or where do you suggest that they start if they had questions or if they wanted to learn more? Um, So they can go to blackandpoly.org. That's blackandpoly.org. And, um, the, this website has a lot of blog articles that are geared toward new people transitioning into non-monogamy. So it has a short article about the difference between swinging and polyamory and open relationships. It talks about couples specifically as far as what to do if you're a couple and you want to have more relationships. It talks about how to convince a partner. Short answer is you can't convince a partner <laughs> yeah. to try polyamory. Um, it talks about uh, cheating. It talks about how to create boundaries. It talks about jealousy. So there are a lot of websites there that you can see, you know, how people do polyamory from a black perspective. Um, it's a lot of one-on-one stuff. And then there's also the link to all the meetups that are in different areas. So you can see where the meetups are actually happening in the, in the country. And then there's a link to the Facebook group. So you can join the Facebook group. It has over 5,000 members. And there's always very interesting discussions going on about polyamory and life in general. Um, and then, of course, there's more than com, which is like, you know, the Bible of polyamory. So that yes. book has, you know, it was has a lot of things that I wish I had known when I started. So I think that's a really good starting point for anybody who's looking into non-monogamy about what to do and what not to do and, you know, all these terms and definitions and history. So there's a lot of interesting stuff in that book for people. Yeah. Right. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you for those resources and, and thank you for sharing. I mean, a lot of the stuff you shared was not easy to talk about and there, there, yeah, it, it was a, some raw conversation. So we really, really, really appreciate that and, and being willing to come on. 
Um, bef- before we let you go, is there anything that we didn't ask or didn't come up that you want to make sure you get off your chest and get out there to, to anybody listening? Yeah, so there's this um, issue in the poly community where there are not, there's not a welcoming attitude toward people of color. And it's not intentional. It's just part of the way that uh, the white community has existed in that there are these spaces that are majority white. And when a black person comes in, they're expected to conform to the social norms of, of that space. And so a lot of times that's uncomfortable for black people. And we're used to it, so we don't talk about it a lot, but it's not it's not the best way to enter a community. So Kevin Patterson wrote the book, Love's Not Colorblind, and he talks a lot about the Black community in white spaces and how white people can be more accepting, accommodating, welcoming to Black people and people of color. So I think it's useful for people to think about their implicit bias, think about their privilege, and how that comes across to people in majority white spaces and what they can do to create a more welcoming atmosphere for people. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a good resource. And we've had it come up um, on some interviews. Actually, one, one of the interviews we've done that hasn't been released yet, it, it has by the time that this one was released, but not at the time of recording. But <laughs> So that was a confusing sentence. But anyway, um, so yeah, thank you for bringing that up. And I think when I asked the question really early on about um, you know white people or, or people of different races joining the joining the the um, the black and poly website it was around that exact reason or reasoning was to you know be able to interact and find ways to be more welcoming not not to to sit there in the shadows and and try to study and observe but to to interact and say like how, how can we be more um, open and be more welcoming and be more interactive? And and I think that was sort of what I was wondering if, if that's a space that if somebody comes in there and is trying to interact, is that something that's going to, they're going to be okay. No one's going to like kick them out and say, you're not welcome here. Is that, it sounds like based on what you said that that's true. Yeah. It's, it's kind of two different conversations is, how do Black people navigate polyamory and non-monogamy? And then how do um, white people create more welcoming spaces? And so I've seen this discussion for the second one in a lot more places than just in the polyamorous community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to be learned just um, interacting around anti-racism and bias that you can learn without specifically looking at the polyamorous community. I think the Black and Poly group is more geared toward how do people navigate polyamory. So I don't think somebody observing or somebody participating in a conversation would necessarily get an idea of what Black people need to be sure. to feel more welcome. So I think unless they ask that question specifically, they're not going to get a good idea about it. And then if they do ask that question, they may get a lot of questioning about why is this important to you? Why are you asking it in this space? Because it's, it's become a space where people can talk about what they're doing, not about what other people should do. Okay. Yeah, and I think that's totally fair. And and maybe then the the trick is finding those resources. And it sounds like love is not colorblind is a good place to start in 
And maybe we could do a follow-up conversation either with yourself or if, if you know of somebody else that would be interested in having that conversation with us about what, what can we do as people who aren't part of that community to be more welcoming to that community, whether it's on the poly side, whether it's on the swinging side or in greater life in general. In general, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's the conversation that I've had with, um, I've had with church groups, I've had with the intentional community uh, movement. So yeah, I'm, I'm willing to have that conversation. Perfect. Well, if if we weren't getting kicked out of our hotel room very short, we would probably try to have that conversation. But maybe that one that one sounds like it could probably go on a while, and maybe we will have to have a a part two if if you would be willing to at some point. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, yeah. th- thank you again for your time and for talking with us and for sharing everything with us. We we greatly appreciate it. Yeah, I think your story is definitely you know, a little bit different than some of the other stories we've had in the podcast. And that's exactly what we want. We want a wide variety of people. So thank you again for your time. Yeah, no problem. It was fun. (laughs) Awesome. Well, have a wonderful Sunday and we will be in touch for sure. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. That was a good drink I made. <laughs> I don't even know what you made. <laughs> I didn't make anything. Imaginary drink? If I drank this time of night, I'd be up peeing until 3 in the morning. I know. Okay. Anyway. Good talk. Yeah. Good talk. Thanks, Crystal. <laughs> we had a really great time talking to you, as always. We love talking to all of our guests, actually. But Yeah, and and sounds like we got ourselves a little sequel in the works. Yeah. So, excited for that. Excited to have everybody on and excited for next week we have a great interview with fight boring marriages which is a blog it's a blog that is about fighting boring marriages i know and you will all see that in your ears in one week yeah. See it in your ears. See, see it in your Wow, we're really struggling. Right so it's now. pretty late. We should yeah. probably go to bed and we'll try again tomorrow. Yep. We'll try again. The, we'll try again next week. The, we're not yeah. redoing this. Okay. In the meantime, you can find us on our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, which you already knew because it's your homepage. And you can find us on Twitter and not Instagram, Twitter and Cassie under the screen name NNM Podcast. We should get a MySpace. You can do that. I don't want to monitor that. All right. But you can. No, no, I'm not doing it. Okay. Bye, everyone.